Welcome to today's edition of Feet to the Fire, where we're always challenging the status quo. For more cutting-edge commentary, go to feettothefire.org. That is feet, the number two, thefire.org. And now your host. Okay, we are a go. We are all set. Uh... Hope that you are blessed. It's good to be back with all of you. And uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Let's start. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to get into your word. We pray that you would uh, give us wisdom and discernment, that this would be edifying for the church as you preach to your church, to train your church, to equip the saints, to be faithful, to do the works of the gospel, and call others to repentance into the church. Guide this time we committed to you. We thank you and we love you and give you praise and glory. And we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, great. Again, uh, love being back with you guys. Uh, was just at Shepherd's Conference in L.A. at John MacArthur's Grace Community Church. <clears throat> I will just say this one synopsis. Um, people say I can be an excited teacher. Um, if you want me to calm down, stop sending me to Shepherd's Conference. <laughs> uh, it, it was really, really good preaching. But... With that, let's get started. So uh, we're going to do Ephesians 6 today, but I did neglect to get Ephesians 5 uh, around verse 15 to you a couple weeks ago. Uh, I ran out of time. So I'm going to squeeze that into the beginning as a slight introduction and slide into the main thesis for chapter 6, okay? So I know it's going to be a little disjointed. I'll try and keep it as connected as possible. So uh, let's go right to Ephesians 5 to address the passage that I did not exegete for you two weeks ago. Is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, said, walk in love. And we discussed how we defined love biblically, not by the culture standards. Uh, then we said, walk in light. And we defined that that was consistent also with the definition for love. And then he says to walk in wisdom. So it says this, beginning in verse 15 in Ephesians 5. Watch then carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, buying out the time or redeeming the time, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Because of this, do not become foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord, and do not become drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now a string of verbs... Underneath that leading command to not be drunk on wine, be full of the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God and the Father. Submitting, it's still one of those participles. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then picks up with family, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, let's pause there. So we see the same literary connection in verse 15 about walking. Walk not unwise, but walk wise. And Sal said this three weeks ago. I've been saying it week after week. And so I want to reiterate it again. It's amazing how much you see in Scripture the emphasis on the transformed mind and the knowledge of God and understanding the will of God, walking in knowledge. The knowledge of God and His will again is here. The knowledge of his word. This is an appeal yet again to the mind. Walk not as unwise, but as wise. Understand the Lord's will. 
This wisdom comes from the word, and it's so important to get this point as Christians. This is why, listen, this is why we preach and why we come to church week after week and why we have conferences like where we just were. And I wrote this before I went, but when I went, it reinforced the point. This is why we go to conferences, why we go to lectures, why we study, why we learn the original languages. When we read our text, those who teach us, why we listen to informed teachers and we rely on local pastors and we demand soundness of doctrine because the Bible commands us to walk how? To walk wise, careful. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then verse 16 says, redeem the time. You have an opportunity, Christian, to go counter culture. You have an opportunity to go counterculture. Folks, we live in evil days. Be warned. The whole deck is stacked against you and your family. And in context here, the whole deck deck is stacked against the wisdom of Scripture. Look carefully, lest you be swept up quickly by the world's way of thinking. You are so susceptible, as am I. Surround yourself with good teachers and good teaching. Redeem the time. Uh, Replicate soundness of knowledge so that your witness to a lost world shines brighter. Rather than replicating more adherence to this culture of evil days. Did you hear all that? Replicate soundness of knowledge so your witness is brighter. Rather than replicating more adherence to the culture of evil days. And again we see a warning, verse 17... On account of all of this, it says in 17, do not become foolish. Foolish, again, the mind. How many warnings does Paul have to give? But, do not become foolish, but instead, discern God's will. Understand the will of God. Has it not often been repeated? I've said this to you frequently, and I I repeat this in my teaching. That our faith is summed up. Our faith is summed up in Romans 12, 2. 12, 1 and 2. Memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2. Burn it, sear it, and seal it upon your hearts, dear church, because this is Christianity. And when your child asks you, Daddy, Mommy, what does it mean to be a believer, to be a Christian? Let this come flying out of your mouth. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Just listen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What is that? That's the gospel. In view of God's mercy gospel, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship, right there is repentance and obedience. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's repentance, obedience, faith towards Christ. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. That's the knowledge of the truth. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is Christianity. We need our minds transformed to discern God's will. Then in verse 18, he gives you a metaphor. Do not get drunk, but be spirit-filled. Now, hopefully, we have learned to avoid drunkenness. That's true. But the metaphor carries further to mean this, live holy. He uses an illustrative contrast. Drunkenness leads to dissipation, sin, debauchery, careless living. 
when it fills you and when alcohol controls you. But being spirit-filled leads to righteousness when God's spirit fills you and controls you. So God should fill you, not wine. Let the spirit be your controlling substance, not alcohol. And then he says, uh, gives us an example. What does spirit-filled look like? So we go to verse 19. He says, don't be drunk on wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. What does that look like? Here it is. All these verbs. These are all, uh, uh, grammatically, I want, I want to emphasize again, it's under the umbrella, the imperative, the command is be filled with the Spirit. And then he describes what it looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms, singing, singing and making melody. That's what it looks like, being filled with the Spirit. Now this is not a musical. It's not calling you to a life of living in a musical, but it is a metaphor for joy. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and singing and making melody and music in your hearts to the Lord. I would urge upon you, though, listen, church, that metaphors are based in reality. So this is a metaphor for joy, but it's based in reality. So we should be at the base level a singing church and singing homes and singing men. I'm trying to say this. I don't think it's a... I'm being silly here. It's not a command to always be living the life of a musical and you're always singing. Okay, it's it's using a metaphor to say, live in joy. But the metaphor is based on reality, which means we ought to be what kind of a church? A singing church and singing homes and singing families and, listen, singing men. That's the base of the metaphor. Now, at the higher level, we need to be joy-filled Christians, but we need to be singing men. And then it says, thanking God for everything through Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Meekness and submission and putting the self last is the pattern set by Christ in fear and in reverence towards him, towards Christ. We do likewise and we live with meekness and submission. And this is a further encouragement to our ladies. Remember last week. Uh, We talked about submission. And this further encouragement for the ladies, that submission is a normal pattern for God's people. This is not teaching mutual submission in marriage. I said that last week. The next verse talks. This is not talking about marriage. The next verse starts talking about marriage. And it clearly says wives submit to husbands. But submission is a normal pattern for God's people. God exemplified submission. Did he not? The son submits to the father in the trinity. The son submitted to the father in his work on earth. And God also is a generous and charitable God. He set aside his rights in order to make himself obedient even to death on a cross, correct? God, let me ask you this. Who has rights and ought to lay claim and exercise those rights if not God? Who has rights and can lay claim to them if not God? Of course God can. And yet... He didn't do that in his gospel toward us. He set it aside. So meekness and submission is not just wives in marriage. It's a characteristic of God himself and Christians. So it's part of being filled with the Spirit. I glossed right over that part, man, so fast, because I thought I had more of it in my notes. Did, I, did you hear me say singing men? Guys, dads. I don't care if you're tone deaf. This wasn't in my notes. This is for free, okay? You've got to teach them the hymns of the faith. Teach them a mighty fortress is our God. Sing it loud with your kids. Sing with your kids. Sing with your families. It's an entailment of being spirit-filled. Okay. 
Then the participle string of verbs keeps going right on into marital submission and love in verse 22. We got to that last week. And so then this whole section, this then is walking in love, in light, and in wisdom. Paul shifts over now as he's narrowing his scope from uh, walking in wisdom, being full of the Spirit, uh, singing, making melody, now submitting to one another uh, in the fear of Christ, and now narrow to the family, to marriage, wives, and husbands. We talked about that last week. Now he goes over to children. We pick up in Ephesians 6. He moves over to children and then to common spheres of life. So I'm jumping the marriage section we did last week. I'll post it online if you missed it and you can listen to it. Now we're going over to this. So here's our question for this morning as we move into our main topic. Um, how ought the Christian conduct himself in the mundane of daily living? How ought the Christian conduct himself in the mundane of daily living? Ephesians 6. Here's our thesis. Children obey. Parents do not provoke to anger. Servants and workers obey and work hard. And masters treat subordinates well as your equals. I'll repeat that thesis. Children obey. Parents do not provoke to anger. Servants and workers obey and work hard. And masters, treat subordinates well as your equal. Let's read Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, in order that well to you it might be, and you will be long-lived upon the earth. And fathers, do not provoke to anger your children, but nourish them, raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not according to eye service as man pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your soul. With good will, serving as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that each, if whatever good he might do, this he will receive from the Lord, whether slave, whether free. And, the, and, and masters, the same things do toward them, meaning your servants, giving up the threatening, knowing that also there and your Lord is in the heavenlies, and partiality or favoritism there is not with him. So, number one, we're just going to go through this real systematically. Children, obey your parents. And I feel like I see a lot of kids here, so that's good. Children, obey your parents. It's self-explanatory in verse one. Obey your parents because it is right. And Paul appeals to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. And it carries a promise of long life. You'll have long life on the earth, and it will go well with you. Now, how do we interpret that? Well, we interpret it like Proverbs. When we interpret the book of Proverbs, um, in God's created order, we see things as a general rule. That's how most theologians interpret the book of Proverbs. There is blessing, and there is uh, goodness, and there is promise in obeying and honoring your parents. There comes good spiritual fruit in your life, and God blesses obedience. That's a general rule of thumb in creation. This isn't a rule without exception. We know tragedy happens. God allows different circumstances in our life. But much like Proverbs, this is general axioms regarding God's created order, the general way things work. For instance, work hard 
and you'll have abundant supply. Lazy, if you're lazy, this is all over Proverbs, you'll become poor. If, you're go- if you gossip, you'll make enemies. If you have integrity, you'll be secure. Okay, that, that, there's exceptions to that, obviously, and, and look at Job's life. Job was a whole gigantic book in the Bible of an exception to that. But these are general principles God has set up in his created order. Children, obey your parents. It will go well. And this is instructive to every child listening, even to young adults. You do well to obey and honor and listen to your father's instruction. Proverbs 1, it says it is a wreath on your head, a necklace around your neck. Now, I know we don't wear wreaths and necklaces, but you obviously don't have to break down the uh, metaphor there. It's an adornment on your life. And as you get older, you realize that more and more. And I'm sure it's a relief to my parents to hear later in life that I'm like, you were right. It, 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 your, your, your discipline and instruction, though not perfect, none of ours is, is an adornment on my life. It will be a wreath and a necklace for you. Uh, It is to your detriment, children. It is to your personal harm. It is to your loss to ignore and disrespect and spurn your parents' authority. Kids, I'll ask you this. Why would you forfeit God's promise here? Kids, are you listening? Why would you forfeit God's promise? As surely as I stand here, you will have a wreath and a necklace on you for the rest of your life if you will heed your parents' instructions. And some will spurn that and throw the reward away because they will not listen. Why forfeit God's promise? It's the first promise, it says. And think of this when you're tempted to resist. Don't fool yourself, kids, and say this. Well, my mom or my dad is this or that and make an excuse. It's like I said last week to the husbands and the wives. This is without condition or caveat. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Don't make an excuse for not. You don't like their rule? (laughs) You don't like their style? (laughs) You're lucky you have a car, let alone a sports car. Like, I'm making an analogy. You don't like the style of your car? No one had cars for 6,000 years, and we finally got them in the last century, and you don't like the kind of car you have. Push the gas down, man. The thing goes. Be thankful you have a car. I'm, comp- I'm not talking about getting a car when you're 17. I'm talking about your parents. Are you kidding me? The world is a legacy of orphans and widows and misery, and you've been given Christian parents, and you don't like their style? Submit to your parents. It will be a wreath and a garland around your neck. Kids, do you understand me? I saw a nod. Good, I hope. I hope you understood the car thing. Don't talk to me about the preference for your parents. That, oh, another family has this rule, and why doesn't my dad or mom let me? What? Submit and obey. It's without condition. It is a blessing that you have your parents. Listen to them. Does God not know which parents he gave you? Did did God ever promise to you that your parents would be perfect? Who are you to judge children and decide, nah, they're not worth obeying on this one? Dad's been faithful to me for 15 years, but this time he's not worth listening to. Or I'm going to go ahead and disrespect my parents. Foolish one, you're forfeiting blessing. Remember your parents when you're at school, when you were at college, when you were away, and when you were tempted. And it's also instructive for parents. Parents, expect obedience from your children in a Christian home. Expect obedience. Enforce obedience. Enforce it. Which leads to our next point. 
Next point. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's in verse 4. So, do not frustrate your children, fathers, or uh, you could say do not enrage them. The word rage or anger is in the verb. Don't enrage them, don't exasperate them, don't embitter them. Dads, and this pertains to moms too, but I'm not going to say it's general. It's spoken to the fathers who are the household representatives, and so you're responsible, dads. Love your children with your discipline. Love them. Everything that I said last week about how to treat the wife, do you guys remember that? Please review that if you weren't here. Everything I said about how to treat your wife last week extends to your children. They are the crowning jewel of your life. They are from the flesh of your wife. They are an extension of your wife. She is your everything. She is your all in all. She is your trophy. She is your treasure. And your children are your treasure. That's how God looks at his church. Christ looks at the church. So dads, do not be arbitrary. Don't be absentee. Don't be lazy. Don't be ill-tempered. Don't be rageful, easily angered, shouting, mean-spirited, negligent. Don't be negligent. Be neither harsh nor lax, but be this. Be diligent. Be truthful. That's loving. Be stern. Be stern. Be strict. Be a disciplinarian, but be sacrificial. Remember I said God did not lay claim to what was his due. But he set it aside to become a servant to us. Be sacrificial. Don't be selfish. Don't be self-serving. Don't be impatient. But raise them, as I said to you when I read it, it's a verb that means nourish or bring them up, nurture them, feed them with discipline. The word for discipline in the Greek is paideia, where we get pediatrics. So in, in the word is child. Raise them up. Discipline in the Greek means like a child. Raise them up with discipline as your children. And instruction. And the word in the Greek is nuthesia. And it means, this is interesting, it, it comes from the breakdown of nuthesia is nous, which is mind, and the verb tithema, nuthesia, which means put. I love that. Instruction. Put it in their minds. That's what it says. Nourish them on child discipline and mind putting. Do you hear that? Put the word in their mind. Instruction. So there's twofold here. Let's break these down. Number one, give them discipline. Give dads, give discipline. It's not abusive. It is not mean. It is not cold-hearted. It is not hurtful. And it is certainly not scarring to give them discipline. They are remarkably resilient. Did you see me lean in for the drama? They're remarkably resilient. Psychology has falsely made us skittish. And it has made us think, and I use the word psychology in quotes. It's falsely made us skittish. It's made us think, wow, this discipline could do irreparable harm. There's no such thing. No such thing as irreparable harm. Now, that was loaded, what I just said. And I know what I just said. I reject notions of the subconscious or the unconscious which is Freudian psychology. I reject that. I'd rather use biblical language like the flesh. Okay? I want you to know what I just said. I don't believe in the subconscious or the unconscious. It's not real. It's made up by a man. We need to use biblical terms. The word is the flesh. 
So we should not let fake Freudian, fake psychology inform how we parent. It's called the flesh. And I reject theories of behaviorism, which come from B.F. Skinner. And the basic idea is that environmental conditioning happens with non-remediable consequences. You can't remediate it. The church does well to likewise reject all such unbiblical philosophies from so-called, quote-unquote, social sciences that in large measure have destroyed our parenting. And I said so-called social sciences. I do not agree with or believe in or adhere to the social sciences. It is a misnomer. It is a contradiction in terms. There is no such thing as social sciences. I did not say that I don't believe in science. Like gravity. I I actually do believe in gravity. In case anyone is getting skeptical about what I believe in. I believe in the laws of motion. But I don't believe in social sciences. As I said, it's a contradiction in terms. Because science... Science, which Christians adhere to, which Christians, by God's grace, invented and engineered based upon the understanding of God's created order, science is measurable because science is material because science is physical. That's science, right? Uh, Social is immaterial. Social is immeasurable. It's not material. It's not physical. Uh, What teaches us Christians on all things immaterial? Another word for immaterial would be spiritual. What teaches us on all things spiritual? Amen, brother. Thank you for answering so fast. Don't come to me with social sciences. It's bunk. Not real. There's science. That's the physical and material. And it's not a science book, the Bible. But it does inform God's created order so that we can practice science. It's not a music manual, but it informs art so we can practice music. It is a spiritual manual. So I will no longer go to Skinner and Freud and Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is also bunk. Not true. None of it. And I will not go to, uh, as I said last week, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. I'm sure he's a great guy. Not going there. Bunk. I'm going to the scriptures because this is a book on the immaterial. Can I get an amen from the church, please? Amen. Amen. So the book on the immaterial will inform me on the immaterial, on the spiritual. And that's what we need for our parenting. What teaches us in all things immaterial and spiritual is the Bible. Church, we have been taking spirit claims. Listen to me. We have been taking, church, are you listening? We have been taking spirit claims from godless men with no warrant or proof for 150 plus years and counting in the West. Do you realize that? Since Freud and before him, we have been taking immaterial spiritual claims from men who do not have the spirit, who are not even Christians, who are not prophets, who are not authoritative, who have not been given direct divine revelation. And we've been taking immaterial spiritual cues from them in the West for over 150 years and shaping our parenting and families based upon nonsense. We have to get back to the Bible. I know I'm emphatic in my tone. I'm not even coming close to the pastors at Shepherd's Conference. They literally bang the pulpit. Literally. So we have got to reject this, guys. I digress. Let's get back to our text here. The Bible says exercise discipline from flawed parents in a flawed world. With all of parental disciplines, attendant mistakes... Because it is an act of faith in God's word. That's what discipline is. Even our mistakes. Now here's my point in contradiction to the so-called social sciences, which is a term we won't use anymore. Now 
Bible-thinking Christians, we're getting rid of all that. Uh, even our mistakes, this goes against the social sciences, Christ can remediate. Yeah, did we not learn that in the first three chapters of theology in Ephesians? Christ can remediate our mistakes. Not that we should carelessly try to make mistakes in our parenting. Nothing about what I've said means unbiblical, careless discipline. Listen, you reap in your children what you sow. So listen, sow wisely when you discipline, according to the scriptures. But the point is, do it. Do it. Be loving and discipline them. Let me give you examples. Letting them cry it out all night long. All night. It's fine. They won't die. And they won't be irreparably scarred. Letting them eat the dinner that they refuse to eat that night, the next day, cold for breakfast in the morning, will not scar them. It will train them. Keeping them home from the party will not hurt them. They won't die. Not tolerating disruption during family worship is not extreme. And strictness will not scar them. That's a lie from the world. Being strict will not scar them into rebellion because you're making them live in a bubble or you're embittering them with righteous standards. That will not happen. That's not the promise of the Bible. Raise them in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. When they're older, they will not depart from it. Righteousness does not embitter. Listen, a lousy father who fails at his job to lead in love and truth That's what embitters children towards righteousness and will push them away from the church. Not strictness. Not training in righteousness. Being a lousy father. So we give discipline. Number two, we instruct the mind. So discipline and instruction. Number two, instruct the mind. Teach scripture, men. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children, but nourish them in the instruction, excuse me, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach them scripture. Remember I said mind put. Put it in their mind. Enough of this, dads, listen. Enough of this that I'm not a teacher. Dads, rhetorical questions. Are you male? Did you enter into a covenant agreement with your wife, which is marriage? Then uphold your covenant. Did she entrust herself to you? Did you decide to have kids, flesh from her flesh, We denigrate motherhood. This is not in my notes, and I'm running out of time. Do you realize, I said this to Sal as he was working on his lesson for last night. From whom did the seed that crushed the serpent's head come? From whom? The seed that crushed the serpent's head comes from man or woman? From woman. He says to Eve, your seed will crush the serpent's head. We denigrate women. And we lose the glory and beauty of femininity and womanhood. Men, your wife is your treasured possession. And the children from her are flesh from her flesh. And we know that the great promise of wives bearing children is that through that childbearing will come the very Son of God. Your children are everything to you. You see, I'm drawing a, 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 a slight interpretive type. An archetype and a type. Like, Jesus is the type. He's the ideal son, right? He's the ideal son. Well, all of your children are like little types. That the ideal son was to come, but in the time being, you are given little types of that. Little children that are representative of Christ. That's what it is from your wife. You you have to instruct them and love them and 
Fulfill your fatherly obligation to them because of your covenant of marriage. I hope this makes sense. You decided to have kids. It is God's wonderful blessing to you through your wife. And then, here's my conclusion of that. Men, welcome. You are a teacher. You are a teacher. Man up. Teach something. It is your obligation. Last week and this week uh, and every week, we've been saying it over and over again. It's your obligation to teach. I can't emphasize this enough. Now, I'm trying to be gentle, all right? Uh, But a man who does not teach his family the word, there is not much left to his fatherhood. There is not much left to your fatherhood if you are not teaching your children the word. And we hear again an appeal to the mind. We need to win the battle for our kids' minds. And the reason I took that tangent on Christ, the seed of Eve, is I want you to see the glory of your wife and the glory of the children that she bore to you. And for you to, I want to press into your hearts, men, the noble and grand obligation you have to fulfill your husbandly and fatherly duties to your wife and to her seed, her flesh from her flesh. Be the man, play the man. Gentlemen, fathers, we have to have answers for our children, our sons and daughters. Dads, think the hard thoughts, pursue knowledge. Pursue biblical nerdiness for our kids. Dispense with these discussions anymore that theology is boring and we're not going to discuss it. Well, that's not my thing. Get rid of it. Learn your theology. Or at least listen. I know maybe that's not everybody's uh, giftedness. At least take them to waters to drink if uh, theology and scholarship is not your fastball. Then take them to waters to drink. Take them to church. Give them books. Listen to sermons. Have discourse. Turn on podcasts. Take notes in church. Dads, think, think, think for your family. I, I almost pounded the podium there, but I didn't. Think. Your kids' souls are depending on you to think and instruct your children. And much of my thinking was forged through a biblical worldview that I learned at church and then listening to my dad and using my dad's resources. I'm telling you, that's where my identity was forged in the crucible of living under my father's discipline and instruction. Okay, let's move on. Number three, servants obey and work hard. Servants obey and work hard. So much important stuff here, and we're running low on time. Stay with me. You guys with me? Stay with me. Here we go. So children obey. Fathers don't provoke. Number three, servants obey and work hard. Uh, We read the passage. This does not uphold slavery. That is a lousy accusation against Scripture. Okay? Ancient. Here's three reasons this does not uphold slavery. Number one, ancient practices were the setting in which the Bible was written. It's also not a, a manual on history and abolition, okay? So it, just, it was set in the context of ancient practices. Number two, slavery and servitude. You get abolition out of the Bible, okay? But social upheaval is not the point of the scriptures is what I meant. Okay, number two, slavery and servitude back then was not the same as what we think of today. Often it was compensated work, what we would call indentured servitude. And number three, Paul said throughout the scriptures... Where you are at, stay there and honor Christ. If you can be free, sure, but don't be troubled by your circumstances, 1 Corinthians 7. But that didn't mean that Paul approved of evil circumstances like slavery. So this does not support that. 
It says this, servants obey your masters. And the Greek in the text is actually for Lord. It's the same word kurios when it says wives treat your husbands as your Lord, as your master. That's the word we use for the Lord Jesus Christ, kurios. So it it should say servants obey your lords. Do your job well. Obey them with fear and trembling, with sincerity of heart as unto the Lord. As you obey and serve the kurios, so also obey your earthly kurios, masters. We see again that submission is a natural course. Do you see this now? Submission is a natural course. It's a natural condition God built into creation that he himself reflects in the Trinity. There's submission in the Trinity, and he reflects it in the gospel. So we dispense with any more complaints about submission and obedience. Don't complain about it anymore. Not anybody, not kids, not wives, not workers, nobody, because we all do submission everywhere. We all submit everywhere. Now, this issue of workers submitting, I want you to notice is the opposite of arrogant, picketing, workers' rights type. You know the ones I'm talking about? It's the opposite of that. Don't be a brazen, picketing, workers' rights type, but be respectful and tremble. These are your lords according to the flesh. And he continues, not with eye service as man-pleasers when they're watching only, because that's insincere and disingenuous, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your soul. So it's God's will that you serve and work hard and that you work well at all times, even when you're not being watched, work hard. And it says with goodwill. Again, workers work with goodwill. Think how opposite to our culture of rebellious, stay with me, workers work with goodwill. Think of how opposite to our culture of rebellious protesting workers and workers unions. Uh, The opposite of bitterness towards our employers constantly. Break room talk. Everybody always complains about their superior. No, this says, serving as to the Lord and not men. And this is very convicting. Your daily mundane, day-to-day job is service. Listen, your daily mundane, day-to-day job that you do every day, it is service, it is slavery, and it is worship to the Lord, not men. Everything you do day-to-day is worship to the Lord. That's convicting. The encouragement is that God will reward your faithful work. The good that you do, he will reward with his goodness, whether you're slave or free. Are we noticing a trend that's developing yet? I am going so fast. Sorry, stay with me. Listen again. There's encouragement that God's going to reward your faithful work, the good that you do. He's going to reward it, whether you're slave or free. Keep that in your head. Do we notice that's a trend developing? Now he turns to the masters and the lords. He says, do the same thing toward your workers. Give up from threatening them. No intimidation, no lording it over them, no wielding authority in a persecuting way. It is the opposite of, I I told you about the picketing workers' rights, folks. That's not good for the Christian, okay? And this, on, on the other hand, with the masters, this is the opposite of the ruthless fat cat boss beating his workers, laughing and mistreating them. Not acceptable. Realize, masters, both you and their lord is in heaven. The Lord in heaven that was described in the whole book of Ephesians, seated at God's right hand. He's in heaven. And now this is the key. There is no partiality with God. And the Greek means uh, there's no respecter of persons. With God is not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of status. He doesn't look at class or talk about class. The, the word in the Greek is face receiving. That's the breakdown, face receiving. He doesn't care about the appearance of a person's external uh, status. None of that is with God. And by the way, as a side note, 
This is instructive on using the right language. Remember I told you before, stop talking about the subconscious, the unconscious. We call it the what? What do we call it? The flesh. Okay? This is instructive for language. We don't talk about racism or prejudice or discrimination. Those aren't biblical words. The Bible has a word for that. It's called partiality. It's called favoritism. Stop with the racism, I'm anti-racist, I'm anti-discrimination, anti-partiality. No, no, I'm anti-partiality because I use biblical language. I'm anti-favoritism. We use biblical terms, don't use loaded cultural terms. And these are things I've taught you before. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples. Capitalism is fine enough. We agree with it. I use the word. But it's sanctity of property or property rights. That's biblical language. Uh, race is not real. Ethnicity is, what, is the word we use. Okay? Flesh over subconscious. Uh, there's more that I can't remember right now. Here's another one, though. Welfare. Don't talk to me about welfare. The Bible talks about charity. Charity is the biblical term. And who's commissioned to give charity? The church, not the government. You see? Use biblical language. That was a side note. Okay, so what are the implications of all of this here that we see as we run quickly out of time? I see three important implications that I'd like to note. Can you stay with me for the big ending? Here we go, the big ending, all right? Here we go, stay with me. Three implications. Number one, yet again, why capitalism is not bad. Property rights. The market is not bad. That's not what this section is saying. You have to have the market. Not only is the market, capitalism, property rights, free market economics, not only is that God's way in his created order, but it is the best for the progress and the well-being of all. This text on slaves and masters, do you realize, presupposes the market. And you've got liberal Christians that say, oh, the New Testament teaches socialism. What? Slaves and master passages presuppose the market. But it says, in the market, do not sin. There is the market, but in the market, do not sin. Workers, don't be rebellious. Don't be arrogant. Don't be deceitful. Don't be lazy. And masters, don't be ruthless and arrogant and greedy and tyrannical. But, but be a master, a godly one, and be a slave, a godly one. Because there is the market. Okay, number two. This is why, at face value, the idea of workers' uprising and worker rebellion and workers' rights weaponizing unions against employers is entirely not Christian. It is unbiblical, and it is antithetical to the conservative mind and perspective, conservative Bible interpretation and application. That attitude of workers' rights is akin to feminism telling women to rebel against the patriarchy and male authority. It's unbiblical. Fomenting rage against bosses and employers and guys who own companies is wicked. This is why we must reject all of these slogans and attitudes. You hear it all the time. Rich CEOs are all greedy. Business execs are all bad. All employers exploit. That's the same as saying all sex is rape. Have you heard that? That's what they say about in feminism. Every time someone owns and makes a profit from workers' labor, it's evil and greed and exploitation and theft. That's what they say. No, that's unbiblical language. That's Marxist language intended to deconstruct God's moral order, which is law, and his created order of hierarchy and submission that is everywhere seen and is God's intention for creation. That's not how the Bible instructs workers to think and to work and to live. Be submissive. That's the teaching. That's the way of God's created order. Workers who work hard, who get paid. Bosses who lead as masters and make a profit. Did you hear me? That's the market. And it's not unfair or abusive or stealing or inherently greedy for, a, for an employer to make a profit. Actually, when the employer makes a profit, it benefits all. But... All, again, must avoid the pitfalls of sin in their particular sphere. Whether boss or worker, whether slave or free, avoid the pitfalls, but the system is correct. 
Thirdly, lastly, more importantly, stay with me. This is wherein equality has been forged and grounded, particularly in the West and in our cultural construction, our system, our covenant government, our political system. Remember I said to you, are you noticing a trend put in the back of your mind? There is no favoritism with God. He will give the same reward whether slave or free. This passage is one of many in the New Testament, the moral gospel, new covenant grounding for equality comes from the Bible. In fact, far from endorsing slavery, which is how people misinterpret this text, this radical teaching in the New Testament is the reason that slavery fell. It's the reason slavery was eradicated, why it crumbled. Slavery could not be sustained under the weight of the self-evident truths that informed our civil constitution. Self-evident. God and thus society and the law is no respecter of persons and all are equal before God and man. We hold these truths to be what? Self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. It is radical for the early church, you got to see this, to teach this stuff when Paul wrote it. Up until this point in human history, this is previously unthinkable. Far from enslaving people, this gave equal value to all, lord and slave alike. Guys, this teaching from the New Testament has shattered kingdoms. And here in America, it has come to its most vibrant and observable expression. Civilization, folks, matters. And ours is grounded in the truths of the Bible. This erases class distinctions while contemporary philosophies like Marxism attempt to reintroduce distinctions. Do you see that? The glories of the New Testament. In all these cases, same with husbands and wives, children, parents, slaves, lords, the failure on the part of the one never justifies putting aside the command of God on the part of the other. Each one is responsible to God to obey the command regardless of how the other behaves. There are no conditions, caveats, or qualifications. In fact, it's only when one becomes self-focused and starts demanding rather than worrying about how they ought to behave and what they're obliged to do before God in his order of hierarchy and delegated authority, it's when you start becoming selfish that things get very ugly and break down. Stay in your lane and obey the scriptures. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time and the patience of the students here and allowing us to get to the material, which I thought I had less than normal, and I appreciate the patience. Teach these truths. Let the children obey. Let the parents and dads lead well, and let us understand the self-evident propositions of the Bible that ensure equality and call us to a submissive order wherein masters are valuing their workers and workers are working as unto the Lord. We love you and give you praise. Let me pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks. See you next week. Thank you for your indulgence on the time.